Let's pray. We thank you, good Father God, for this story of your rescue of your people. And thank you that you are still working on that now. Thank you that you have rescued us through Christ Jesus. We pray that we would learn a little bit more of your love for us and how we can believe in you. Through Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to ask you a question. How do you believe in Donald Trump? How do you believe that he exists and he is real? Um, in general, you see him a lot. He's very orange. He's hard to miss. Twitter. If you've got a Twitter account, he is all over the place. Um, I never look at my Twitter account, so that helps um, with my ability to sleep. Um, you hear him. The world has changed because of his actions. And potentially, you might be quite scared of him. Or scared because of what he has the potential to do. This man is in charge of um, the most powerful country in the world. We know that Donald Trump exists because he's, he is everywhere. But he's not, thankfully, God. Today we're going to think a little bit about how exactly we can believe in God. How people, the people of God have believed in God over the years. Um, uh, yeah, I have to say again, not for one moment am I comparing Donald Trump to God in any favorable way. The people in our story believed in the Lord. And why did they believe in, in the Lord? Well, it's fairly obvious something incredibly miraculous happened. They believed in the evidence of what they saw and witnessed. And they believed also because of what Moses was saying to them. They believed Moses. And it says a couple of times, they believed because they feared God. But not only the, the Israelites believed and feared the Lord, the Egyptians did as well. I want us to think about that a bit as well. These two peoples had had their lives entwined for hundreds of years. It's easy sometimes to think of the Israelites and the Egyptians as a goodies and baddies situation. And we normally think of ourselves as the Israelites escaping from the Egyptians. But think about it. The Egyptians were the people with the power. The people who had used other people for their own economic gain. These people had been living in their land for centuries. This story, the story of Exodus, is one of the pivotal stories of the whole Bible. It's the story of God forming a people, rescuing them from slavery. This story is absolutely made for the big screen, and there have been quite a few movies made. You may have seen the Charlton Heston version. There is also a cartoon version, and probably others. Oh, there's a terrible one that came out a few years ago. Oh, man, don't bother. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so wooden. Um, but there are some, there's some interesting big set pieces in there. Because this is the biggest story ever. 
The people of Israel have escaped from captivity in Egypt after that long game of cat and mouse and miracles between Pharaoh and Moses. The people of Egypt have suffered dreadfully because of those plagues and Pharaoh's unbelief. Finally, Pharaoh agrees that the people can leave and they leave the only land they have known for over 400 years for a life of uncertain wandering with following Moses and their recent experiences. And of course, Pharaoh has a change of heart and sends all of his chariots and horsemen to go and get them. And the people start grumbling because they were afraid. And then we have this incredible story that's impossible for us to understand, really. There's a lot of theories of exactly where it was, exactly what happened. And I'm not going to go into those today, but you can definitely look into them. But what is definite is that this was miraculous. We are left in absolutely no uncertainty about this being a miracle from God rather than a mass hallucination, a freak of nature, or um, just somebody making it up. If you have a Bible in front of you, have a look at chapter 14. And on three occasions, we're told, the Lord said to Moses, on on verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, and verse 26, It wasn't Moses' idea to do this. I mean, why on earth would he have waded into the the Red Sea with thousands of people behind him? God was in control of this situation through his servant. People saw what had happened and they could only worship God. They couldn't worship anybody else. Now, the Egyptians saw God and they were full of fear because they knew that they couldn't get out of that situation. It's awful, isn't it? Reading stuff in the Bible about God destroying people, about people being killed because God was rescuing the Israelites. It seems unfair, ungodly even. Why would God do that? I mean, yes, those people were trying to kill the Israelites and take them back to to, um, Egypt. But why did they have to die? Why would God do that? And like so many things, I mean, it seems like every time I stand up here, I have to say, I don't have an answer. I don't. I don't. But this is not perfect. The world is not perfect. This is not the perfect story of rescue. That comes later. I wonder how many of those people who were riding chariots actually knew some of the people they were, they were chasing after. It, it's just, it, it's a surprising thing, isn't it? If you look back to chapter 12, verse 38, there's a very interesting thing here that says, suggests even more that this might not be a completely black and white situation. It tells us that many other people came along with the Israelites. We're not told who they were. They're sometimes described as a crowd of riffraff or a mixed crowd. And I think, and a lot of commentators think, that these, some of the people who were with the Israelites were Egyptians. It was not an incredibly black and white situation. 
So the, Is- the Egyptians feared the Lord and believed in God. It didn't do them much good in this story. Moses feared God and believed in him. He believed in, in God because God talked directly to him. God had done so many great things through him. In the Hebrew, we read that God talked mouth to mouth with Moses. So it's, it's very intimate imagery. They had a close relationship. Moses is, is often seen as being God's mouthpiece. God speaking through Moses. Moses had seen so much evidence of God's power. Even though he wanted more than anything else to run away when God first called him. Just look at verse 15 again though. God tells Moses to stop praying. I'd never noticed this before. How weird. It says, why are you crying out to me? Get on with it. Tell the Israelites to move on. Sometimes we have to just get on with it. Um, God had heard something pretty amazing from, uh, Moses had heard something pretty amazing from God, hadn't he? That they were, he was going to lead them through the sea. Uh, would you believe that? I would find it hard to believe, even that I was going to walk on water over a river, but a whole sea. Okay, Lord, we'll just move over all of the Israelites into this massive body of water and drown them along with their cattle. Great. But sometimes God needs us to trust him and get cracking. And the amazing thing is he uses us even when we doubt him. He used Moses and worked through him, and we're told again and again that Moses had doubts. Moses probably had no idea exactly what was going to happen when he stuck out his staff as he was told to. This was unprecedented. God moved the waters aside with a strong east wind, showing his mastery over all creation. And reading through this, at the moment, it's impossible not to think of all those people in our world who are in trouble because of water in the wrong place. Those people who've been flooded out of their homes. Those people who have been killed because of hurricanes. The world is not perfect. God shows his mastery over creation, but things are still not perfect. So the people, Moses feared the Lord and believed in the Lord, even though he made mistakes. The Egyptians feared the Lord and believed in the Lord. And the people of Israel also feared the Lord. Now that word fear, it's strange, isn't it? We've just sung, I know I'm no longer a slave to sin. Fear? Fear, thank you very much. I knew there was a point for me saying that. Um, <laughs> we've sung that over and over, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And we're not. But this phrase, fear of the Lord, is something different. It's actually mentioned over 300 times in the Bible, not just in the Old Testament. It's described as having a respect for a sovereign, a desire not to disappoint God. We're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs. Do we fear God in this way? It seems at times that we look at God as our indulgent daddy who's going to give us everything we want, and Jesus is our buddy. Now, these things have truth in them. God is with us and loves us, and Jesus is our friend. 
But we must never forget the transcendent power of God. These things have to balance each other out. Imminence, God with us. Transcendence, God powerful over all creation. But we think of fear of God, don't we? But it seems like fear of God itself isn't quite enough to sustain belief. Just a short chapter after this story, the people of Israel start moaning and complaining again because they don't have enough food, and we'll hear about that next week. They do quite a lot of moaning and complaining. We give the Israelites quite a lot of stick, don't we? Especially in this story. Um, and we think of them whinging away. But think about it. They were a displaced people. They had escaped from a land which was the only place they knew, which was actually quite comfortable in some ways, even though they were oppressed, even though it had become a place of cruelty for them. It was known. And sometimes to leave a known thing, even when it's bad, is very scary. And they had left for what? To follow an overprivileged ex-member of the ruling elite who had a wooden stick and no idea where he was going. It's no wonder that they complained. They were scared, despite the evidence they had that God was with them. This story is the story of the people of God being rescued and liberated from that which enslaved them. And we see this story being reenacted all over the world. There are peoples all over the world who are in, in slavery, in actual slavery. We see what's happening with the Rohingya Muslims. We don't totally understand that situation, but they are fleeing persecution, just as the Israelites did. We see the people from North Africa being willing to risk their lives and the lives of their children and their families for the outside chance of a better life. All over the world, God's created and loved people are groaning and needing to be liberated. Why is this still happening? Well, think back to the idea of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord might well be the beginning of wisdom, but true wisdom is to love the Lord. Love comes with relationship. Only one person has ever been able to show how to love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus came to show us how to live, how to love properly, how to fear God. However, it's obvious that things are not perfect. We look around the world. Jesus told us that the kingdom of God, that place where things are as they should be, as they're intended to be, But when he talked about that kingdom of God, he didn't give us Google Maps directions. He didn't tell us where it is or even really what it is. He told a lot of parables, he told stories, and he showed people how to live. Um, In the gospel reading that we read earlier on today, um, where Jesus reminded people to forgive a ridiculous amount of times. And he reminded us that we forgive because we have been greatly forgiven by God. And we have to forgive over and over and over again. Forgiveness is a huge aspect of how to live as people who love God. Finding the kingdom of God is an ongoing process. It's not just 
something that happens once. And belief in God is just part of this process. And you know what? Usually belief in God isn't the first part of that process. We don't expect people to sign up to a list of beliefs before they can come and be part of our church or before they can come through that door or before they can have a conversation with us. Generally, people come and belong to something, a a friendship group, maybe a small group, maybe just knowing one person, and then they come to church, maybe. With this in mind, we're thinking about small groups at the moment, about relaunching what we're doing in our small groups this term, and home groups. We've got an incredibly diverse list of small groups happening here at St. Stephen's. Um, Have a look at that. If you've got um, a pew sheet, inside the pew sheet is a little sheet that tells you about most of the groups that are happening here at St. Stephen's. They range from our new photography group, which hasn't even started yet, to long-established small groups that meet in people's houses, and some short courses that only last for a few weeks. Now, each of these groups have some things in common. Now, many of them have food in common, which is a very excellent thing. But they all definitely have some element of community, some element of reaching out, and some element of being centered around Jesus and worshiping Jesus. We want to open up our small groups to everybody. We also want it to be possible for people to try out different groups if they like and not feel guilty about not being in the same group Um, until they die. (laughs) So it's important to be able to do that. It's important for leaders as well to be able to just sign up for a a while, a, a year maybe. To this end, we're going to give people an opportunity to sign up for small groups every term. And we'll be asking people to commit to that group just for the term. And don't worry, it doesn't mean that we'll be checking that you go every week. It's just to say, I'd I'd like to come to this, and um, it's just for a few weeks. It's often easier to commit to things when it's just for a few weeks. If you want, though, you can keep signing up for the same group if that's what you want. Um, At the back, on that table, there are some sign-up sheets. And we'd really love, um, if you'd like to be involved in, in a small group, for you to sign up, even if it's a group that you've been involved in for years. It's useful for us to know who wants to do what. And if if you have any further questions, please ask um, Danny, myself, or Louisa when she's in the office. Or maybe today. I don't know. Yeah. Um, We're trying to create small um, spaces where people can belong. This sense of belonging will hopefully create a space where people can get to know God through other people, and through experiencing God's love for themselves. We saw how both the people of Israel and the Egyptians feared God because they saw what he had done. We hope and pray that we can continue to follow Jesus' example and love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. We ask for God's help as we move forward with our small groups this term. Amen. Thank you, Claire.